0: Hey, my name is Colton. I'm one of the serving leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. Morning, Ethos shirts. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on. My name is Weston, and I serve here at Ethos as the Spiritual Formation Director. I am excited for next Sunday. I don't know about you guys. I hope you're able to join us and bring some friends and family along with you. But before we get there, we got some work to do today. We're going to close out our series in, of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. So I'm going to read our scripture for today, and then we'll jump in. Sound good? Yeah. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share in each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who taught the word of God should be should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life with the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Just at the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, whenever we have an opportunity, have the opportunity, we should be good, do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, your love, your grace, and your mercy. Draw us closer to your heart today. Let us love, let us learn more about the way that you love us, Jesus. We trust you, we honor you in this place this morning. It is in your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, growing up, we lived in a cul-de-sac, a, a court, and there was about 15 kids all in our court, which, which led to a lot of fun growing up. Really really great childhood with a lot of kickball, hide-and-seek kind of things. But every now and then there would be these dead days where no one was outside playing and you would have to go door-to-door and ask if so-and-so could come out to play. I remember one day I went house-to-house and asked all my friends and nobody could come out except for one of my friends who was about fifth grade at the time. I was probably around a sophomore or freshman in high school. So I was hanging out with my one friend in the neighborhood, my fifth grade friend named Zach. And it was really fun because Zach was in the first service. And so Zach wasn't your typical fifth grader. He's really tall. He's about the same height as as me uh, as a sophomore in high school. And so I decided that I would play um, one of my favorite games growing up, Ding Dong Ditch. And the way that I used to play Ding Dong Ditch is I would convince my friends to do the ding dong and ditching while I would go away across the street and hide and watch and laugh as they would do it. I would never be the one to actually ding dong or ditch. This particular day, I asked Zach to ding-dong ditch uh, our sketchiest neighbor. This neighbor, uh, you know, we all kind of just stayed away from him a little bit, but this day I said, Zach, let's ding-dong ditch him. And I went in my house and watched through the window as Zach walked up these stairs to to knock on this guy's door and run away. And let me tell you guys, it was so funny the first four times, it was so funny. The fifth time though, the fifth time, uh, as Zach's climbing up these stairs, he goes to knock and the door flings open. And our neighbor picks Zach up by his collar, lifts him off the ground and carries him home about four or five houses down. He sets him on the porch and he says, Zach, why are you ding dong ditching alone in the pouring rain? (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm inside watching through my window losing. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. A few weeks later, Zach finally, after probably he gets grounded, he comes over to me and goes, Weston, why didn't you help me? Where were you? And I was, I don't know what you're talking about, Zach. I, I have no recollection of the event that you're talking about. I see myself do that a lot in life, not convince fifth graders to to, 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 to teach on people, but um, actually I see myself as someone who sees a lot of needs, sees people in my life I could serve, I could help, I could carry burdens as Paul talks about in Galatians 6, but I don't do it. If I'm honest, I could be a lot better at carrying burdens. I could be a lot better at loving the people around me, serving the people around me. Paul talks in Galatians, he opens up in verse two with this, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you've been tracking with us in this series, this entire book of Galatians is about that Jesus has filled the law that we can receive his grace and mercy. And then yet we get to this verse in verse two, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ. If Jesus fulfilled the law, then what do we have to obey? Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. This law of Christ, this law of love that Jesus introduces, it doesn't take away necessarily all the law of the Old Testament, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago, the 613 Jewish customs laws that were in place in order for us to be in right standing with God to be loved by God. Jesus comes and fulfills that, lives that perfectly, dies on a cross so that we can receive grace and now he issues this new commandment. This commandment actually encompasses all the Jewish commandments into this one commandment, love one another as I have loved you. It's important to know we don't, obey this command in order to get salvation, in order to get love from God. We do it because we've already received love from God. We do it because we've already received salvation. Now this is our appropriate response to what Jesus has done for me. Because of Jesus now, I obey the law of Christ, which is to love each other as he has loved me. And Paul says the way we do that is by carrying burdens. For me, I'm not as good at that as I want to be. This is the truth. This is the reality of my life. Galatians chapter six, Paul says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should go and do good to everyone. But check this, especially to those in the family of faith. There seems to be this heightened responsibility for Paul within the family of faith. A lot of our friends uh, just in the last four or five months have had babies, like literally four of my best friends have had babies, and which has been so cool for us because we're about like 19 days away, or less hopefully, of experiencing, um, you know, the birth of our daughter. And yet, we're so excited for our friends, and we've been able to, to see these, these newborns over the past few weeks and months, and we love them, and we love to serve our friends' families and all of that, but there's a different responsibility when, we, when Ashley gives birth to our daughter. There's a different responsibility that we now take care of our daughter than we would to our friends. And I think Paul is saying the same thing kind of in the church, right? We still love and celebrate as Jordan was doing earlier, praying for other churches that claim Jesus Christ is Lord and died for our sins. And yet there's a different responsibility within this house, this family, if you belong to ethos, there's a different responsibility for how we should treat and love each other in this house. We should share in each other's burdens. By this, we obey the law of Christ, right? And yet, I struggle at this. Yet, I'm not very good at this. I wonder if you would admit that you are in the same boat as me, that we could all grow in sharing in each other's burdens. I think when we do, church, I think when we, when we begin to obey this law of Christ, people around our city, people in our lives would have no choice but to see the love of God head on. There's something different going on in the north side of Columbus because of the people of Ethos Church that love so selflessly. Right, and so we have this responsibility now. Now that we've received this love from God, to go and obey the law of Christ by sharing each other's burdens. But the question I'm asking this morning is, why don't I share burdens, carry burdens well? I think the first reason I don't don't carry burdens well in community is because we ourselves are burdened. We're burdened. The reality is, as much as I want to serve and love and care for people, there are times in my life that I have a lot on my shoulders. Maybe for you as well, maybe you're in in this room this morning, there's a lot going on in your life, a lot going on at home, right? We experience pain in our home, whether separation, divorce, those kind of things, so heavy, so big, so weighty. Maybe for you, you you experienced the loss of a loved one recently, and that's really weighty, and as much as you would love to care for each other's burdens, you're like, I got a lot on my plate right now. I don't know if I have the space. I'm just trying to maintain. I'm just trying to survive another day. Maybe for you it's financial or a job loss. Maybe for you, someone in your life, someone you're close to, you got diagnosed with cancer and that's so weighty, that's so heavy, you're carrying this burden. And then you come into church and you're like, we got to carry each other's burdens. And you're like, Some, I, need, I need someone to carry my burden. If that is you this morning, you have a responsibility with your burden. The first thing we need to do when we are in that season of burden, we need to invite Jesus in to our burden. I love how Eugene Peterson translates Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 11. Here's what he says. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I noticed in my life when I experience those heavy burdens that I almost reduced Jesus to just the miracle worker that he is. But I'm also learning at the same time that a lot of times I'll be praying, God, would you just take the situation away? Can you heal this? God, can you come through in this way? Can you give me the miracle? And what I'm learning is maybe the miracle isn't that God is going to fix my immediate situation, but what if the miracle is he's in the middle of it with me? What if the miracle is the comfort and the peace that Jesus offers from Matthew 11, that he's saying, if you invite me in, if you give me your burdens, I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. Where else can you get this but Jesus, right? So I need to do a better job when I am experiencing these burdens of inviting Jesus in. We talk about ethos, we talk about our our first 15 minutes of the morning, spending time with God in prayer or in worship or reading our Bible or combination of the three. And I need to get better in those moments, daily giving my burdens over to the Lord, daily reminding myself that I am not strong enough to carry the weight of this world. I'm not strong enough to carry the, the turmoil in my family. Or I'm not strong enough to carry the burdens that this life will deal out to all of us. And this daily reminder in my first 15 minutes is causing to me remember, oh yeah, Jesus is asking for me to give him my burden so he can give me this comfort, this peace, this rest for my soul, right? right? So, we need to invite Jesus into our burdens. Secondly, when we have burdens, when we're in a season of, of this struggle, this burden, the hardship, we need to invite our community in. At this period of time when the, New, when the New Testament is written and Galatians is written, there was this mainstream belief, the Gnostic belief. And under this belief system, their gods were real, but they were distant and disinterested in humanity. And the only way to understand or to gain knowledge would be secretive efforts done in isolation. And then the New Testament, New Testament writers, including Paul, they come in and they flip this narrative upside down. And they begin to teach something entirely different. That God is near, the kingdom of God is near and he'll never leave you or forsake you. And you are actually created for community, not isolation. I love this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. I want us to notice this language. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Notice the language, us, we, our. This is language of togetherness. This is to remind us that we are not meant to run this race of faith alone, that we are created for each other. We are created for community. So when we are experiencing burdens, it is my responsibility to invite my family into it. Dominic Doan in his book, When faith fails, it says, he he says, it's impossible to read the Bible and not realize faith's journey is meant to be done together. The idea is everywhere. The Bible begins with the triune God creating our world. He plants a garden and then puts a family inside. We're meant to do this within family. We're meant to do this together. The issue that we face is the world rages against this idea of the Bible, Sociologists would call what we live in is radical individualism. There's an article in Psychology Today that says we are the I generation. We are focused, hyper-focused on ourselves. We value autonomy over accountability. We value individual happiness over the greater good. We value tolerance over love. Love is going to challenge where tolerance only accepts. We value fierce independence over friendship, individualism, I generation. And what happens is we carry this culture that we live in outside of this building, outside of church, and we carry it into church. So now we make church something we consume rather than a family we need to invest in. And so we have these burdens on the outside, but then we are here to just consume. I'm just here for in my personal relation with God. No, this is a communal relationship with God. He's my personal savior, but he's our personal savior. And we're meant to do this together. And so maybe for you, the question isn't, how do I share other people's burdens well? How do I carry other people's burdens well? Maybe the question is for you, how do I carry the burdens I have well? How do I invite others into what I'm going through? How do we do that? I love the example that Jesus sets in Matthew 26. Just hours before he's arrested and eventually crucified. Where is he just hours before he's arrested? He's with his friends. He's with his community. He's with his disciples. They're at a table and he's eating and dining and probably laughing and sharing stories with one another. Then he takes the bread and he breaks it and he shares a glass of wine and he says, take this bread and drink this wine. This is my body. This is my blood. When you do this, remember me. What's Jesus doing? He's living life with his disciples, his community, his friends, and part of living life together is sharing in each other's burdens, letting people in. I just met with a friend this week, Victor, who I love so much, one of my best friends. And we just sat across from each other and he just began to tell me what's going on in his life. And at the end he goes, bro, I didn't realize how therapeutic this was gonna be for me. I just, I guess I needed to talk to someone what's going on in my life. I'm telling you, there's so much freedom in just a simple conversation of letting your community into to what's going on, to your burdens that you're, that you're facing, that you're carrying. And maybe you're like, Wes, I'm actually in a really good season. I don't really have a lot of burdens going on. I'm doing pretty good. And that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. Maybe that's a cue for you to know that you need to be looking around, your head on a swivel for who's not in that same season, who is carrying burdens, and how can you be a part of obeying the law of Christ and sharing their burdens with them? So then for the rest of us who are, in this space or we want to carry burdens better in community, what do we do? How? Why don't we do it well enough? And I think the second reason we don't is because we're hurried. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I think there's some truth to that because both sin and busyness and hurriedness do the same thing in the sense they disconnect us, they distract us from God and community. Sin and busyness will distract you from God and will distract you from your community. Carl Jung, who's a psychologist said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Andrew Sullivan said, if churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism or self-indulgence, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. And then Thomas Merton wrote, the rush and pressure of modern life is a pervasive form of contemporary violence. I don't even fully understand what that means, but I know that I'm hurried and I know it's not right. And I know I need to slow down and I know the world is raging around us and we feel like we have to keep up. The problem is not what we're doing is necessarily bad. It's just that we have so much that we're doing. The only way to keep up is to hurry. And the problem with that is hurry and love are incompatible. They can't exist at the same time. I think of my worst moments as a human, my worst moments as a husband, or as a son, as a brother, as a friend, as a laborer for the gospel, an employee, or just a human in general, it's when I'm in a rush. When I'm late for a meeting, when I'm behind on my unrealistic to-do list. When I try to cram too much into a day, I become hurried and frustrated. I lose anger and irritability. I lose compassion and empathy for others. Why? Because I'm hurried. John Orberg says, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. So what are we gonna do? How do we begin to change this hurried culture even on our hearts? Our mission here at Ethos, our vision here at Ethos Church is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. But if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. The practices of Jesus are going to help us experience the fruit of the life of Jesus. And so I love looking at what Jesus did in his life. And I love to try to live my life an example as best as I can as him. And I love the story in Mark chapter five, where Jesus is met by a synagogue ruler named Jairus, whose daughter is sick and dying. She's 12 years old. And he says, Jesus, I need your help. And so Jesus agrees to go to his house to heal his daughter. On the way there, they are walking through this crowd and there's another woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. The Bible wants us to notice that these stories are connected. Daughter's 12 years old. This woman's been bleeding and sick for 12 years. She's not supposed to be in public. And yet there she is because she's heard of Jesus, this miracle worker. She, she's unclean. She's not supposed to touch anybody. And yet here she is hearing that maybe Jesus can heal me because every doctor hasn't been able to. She bends down and she touches just the thread of his garment. In the Bible, Mark says immediately she was healed. Jesus has a conversation with her, then he goes about his way to heal, who is now a, a dead 12 year old girl. He raises her from the dead. I love what John Mark Comer says in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, God walks slowly because he's love. If he's not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has a speed. It's an inner speed, a spiritual speed. It's a kind of speed that from the technological speed that we're so accustomed to. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all speeds since it is the speed of love. Here's Jesus on his way to heal a dying girl. Remember, when Jairus meets Jesus, she's not dead yet. She's sick and dying. So Jesus had a reason to hurry. He had a reason to rush. He had a reason to avoid distractions. And yet, as he's along this journey, he gets touched by this woman and he stops. He feels the healing power go out of him. And he says, whoa, someone just touched me. And then he notices who it was. And he bends down and he has a conversation with her. The rest of this, the crowd around them, Jairus, his disciples have no idea necessarily what's going on with this woman, but Jesus does. He knows that the condition is not just the illness but the consequences of her illness. By Jewish custom, she wasn't allowed to be in public. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't get married. She couldn't even be with her friends or her family. She would have to leave her father and mother. And Jesus bends down and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus calls this woman daughter. She probably hasn't heard that word daughter in years. Jesus in this moment, didn't just heal her condition. He begins to heal her heart. And then friends of Jairus come outside and go, yo, Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine just for a moment the frustration that Jairus must have felt? Jesus, you couldn't have just let her get her healing and moved on. My daughter's dead. Now I'm glad that she got her healing. But what about mine? What about my daughter? The frustration. Can you just put yourself in in the story and imagine how irritating that must have been because Jesus was just so slow. He wasn't in a hurry at all. And then Jesus gets up and he goes to Jairus and says, only have faith. And he walks in and he raises this dead girl back to life. If Jesus were in a hurry, he would have missed out on someone who needed him. If Jesus were in a hurry, he would have missed out on someone that needed to hear the words daughter. Yeah. They needed to know that I am loved by God. Yeah. Jesus was slow. He wasn't in a rush. He was always doing something. And my friend Delaney in between messages said, and after her first service, she said, Weston, was so interesting is Jesus was on his way to do something good. And that's right. He's on his way to do ministry. And yet we can be on our way to do good things, but miss out on people all around us. we are so preoccupied. We're so hurried allow the margin in our life to be able for us to keep our head on its level who is in need, who needs love. I'm not going to say, I'll be praying for you, man. No, let's stop right here, right now. I'll pray for you right here because I'm not in a rush. Yeah. I'm not hurried. This is where I need to be. So what are we gonna do? We have this dilemma that we are hurried. We, we can all admit I'm hurried. We thought after COVID, maybe we would learn some practices of slowing down. Not the case. We've sped up. At least I have. So the world's not changing, so how do we? Even if I inwardly wanna say, I wanna live unhurried, how? Joshua Becker, who's a former pastor who now writes fully on minimalism, he says this, you must intentionally promote the things you value and remove everything that distracts you from them. So what do we do to live unhurried? We start small. Let me grab your friend group or your family this week or your small group that you meet in and and begin to decide, what do I value the most? Especially as it revolves around my faith, what are my values? And then determine what are distracting me from my values? And then once we've determined what is distracting us from our values, we go, how can I remove or lessen them so I can live unhurried and focus and live a more simple life, focused on where God is calling me, focused on the opportunity to do good in this family start small. I remember growing up, my grandpa, who is a hero in my life, he's the reason my family knows Jesus, he's the reason I know Jesus. I'm living out my grandpa's prayers. How many of us know that, that prayers last longer than people do? And because of him, now I'm here. and, And I noticed in his life, I would, even as a kid, I would take note, on Sundays, he kept a Sabbath. On Sundays, you couldn't catch him doing anything besides being with God and being with his family. It's the two things he valued the most. I'm gonna be with Jesus and then I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna be with my family. And I love that practice. And it cost him to live such a slow pace and been able to love so radically so well. And I want to be more like that. I remember growing up, we had a a kid on on my baseball team that would never play games on Sunday. And I was like, bro, where are you? He's like, I gotta go to church on Sunday. I'm like, no, we need to win. I need you here. Back then, I I didn't understand what his family was doing. And now, as we're preparing to have our own daughter, I'm like, that's exactly the kind of family I want to have. Like, this is what we value. And anything that distracts us from our value, we're gonna remove or lessen. To hyper-focus, to be slow, to be simple. This is how we begin to live an unhurried life. We must be able to see the needs of people around us. And our ability to see those needs is dictated by our ability to be slow enough to notice them. Our ability to see the needs of the people around us is dictated by our ability to be slow enough to notice them. If I could have Colton come up and help me close out. The third reason we don't, the reason we don't carry burdens well in community is what I'm gonna call the matter of importance. We either think of ourselves as too important or we downplay our importance or our role. We either think of ourselves as too important or we think our role is insignificant. There's a story in Luke chapter 19 where we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, the week, the Sunday before Easter, the beginning of Holy Week, as Jordan mentioned earlier. And this signifies Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem when he rides in on a donkey. But in order for Jesus to ride in on a donkey, he first needs a donkey. So he asks his disciples, hey, would you guys go and get me a donkey? And he tells them exactly where to go and exactly how to get it. And they go. And they begin to untie this donkey. And the owners of a donkey come out and go, hey, why are you taking my donkey? And they go, the Lord needs it. And I love the response from the donkey owners, nothing. They just take it. And I don't, I'm assuming that it's because they just lived open-handedly to go, the Lord needs it, take it. What an act of generosity. What a beautiful heart to go, whatever it is. The, everything I have isn't my own anyway, the Lord's given it to me, so if the Lord needs it. This donkey would have been like transportation back then, so it's the equivalent of us coming outside tonight and seeing someone hot-wiring our car. Yo, why you why hotwire my car? The Lord needs it. Oh. If that happens tonight, call the cops. They're lying. <laughs> the Lord doesn't need your car. you are good. But can we live in such an, a way where we're just so open handed to whatever the Lord needs? Something as small as a coffee or time well spent with someone just listening to the burdens of their life, praying with someone right then and there, our resources, our finances open-handed to wherever the need is, whatever needs to be done, Lord. I have a family here at Ethos Church. This is where God's placed me. I have an opportunity to do good, but I have to recognize that I'm not that important. Paul talks about in Galatians, we're not that important. So can we begin to be open-handed to realize the most important thing is Jesus and what he's doing here on this earth and through this church. Let's be open-handed. Secondly, though, we, we sometimes downplay our importance, specifically our role of what God's asked us to do. I was reading Luke 19 and God just kept asking me to sit on the scripture. I'll be honest, there's not a lot there, but I kept reading it like, God, oh, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to see? And then I noticed two things. I noticed Jesus inviting his disciples into the story. He could have just made a donkey out of thin air most likely. He could have just figured a way to get a donkey on his own. Instead, he invites them in and says, hey, would you go and get a donkey for me? And I love the disciples' obedience to go, yeah. Faithfulness to go, yeah, for sure. But my question is, did they even know why they were getting a donkey anyway? Do you, do I? Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. This passage in Zechariah 9 is prophecy of the promised Messiah, that that the Messiah was going to ride in victorious on a donkey. And so Jesus says, I need a donkey. But the disciples know when they said yes to do it, did they know they were fulfilling prophecy? I'm not sure. But the seemingly meaningless task, so important that we celebrate it thousands of years later and call it Palm Sunday, all started from the act of going, yeah, I'll I'll go get the donkey. It's not that big a deal. Years ago, I was at a movie, a premiere night. I don't know if they still do premiere nights. There was a premiere night for this movie and I was so excited, I love movies, but I love previews the most. I always get there super early. I love to see what's coming up next more than I even want to watch what what they got now. And, And so we're sitting there and early on um, before the movie starts before even the preview start this guy's walking row by row and talking to every person in the theater and I noticed him and I noticed he's working his way up to the top row where I was talking to each person finally he comes to me and goes hey guess what what could this possibly be about he says I'm in the movie and I was like yeah, okay cool no 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 seriously I'm in the movie alright man I don't believe you but okay he says okay well when it's my part, when it's my turn, when it's my scene, I'm gonna stand up on my chair and let everyone know. They're like, all right, dude, just get out, just go. We almost forget about it. About an hour in the movie, this dude stands up on his chair and goes, hey, here it comes, my part, my scene. And we're like, okay, now we're, a little, we're anticipating it a little bit, right? We're like, wait, we gotta look for him. And sure enough, there's this scene where the camera pans, they're at a bar and there's this camera panning and he's sitting at the bar. And he's on the screen, I'm not joking, for like a second a, or a second and a half at best, but long enough for us to notice, that is him. And as soon as, his, as soon as the camera cuts to the main character, the entire crowd in the theater erupts in applause. Woo, yeah! And this dude stands up and he bows and then he leaves. <laughs> he's going to the next show and he wants everyone to know he was in this movie for a second. But what if that's how I lived? as it relates to Jesus and what he's asking me to do? What if I can be that excited to play a part in what God's doing on earth, bringing heaven down to earth in this community? What if I got that excited about putting up chairs in the morning to go, hey, I might be on the screen for a second and a half, but you know whose story this is? This is the story of Jesus and he's inviting me in. My role is not insignificant because that donkey, is now the the donkey Jesus rode on to enter Jerusalem. Oftentimes, um, every other week I set up chairs and I don't ever want to set up chairs. And yet every week we, I get here at seven in the morning, we set up chairs, but I had to change my perspective to go, no, the chairs that I'm setting up that I'm praying over right now could be the exact same chair that someone sits in and receives the love of Jesus for the first time and their eternity is forever changed. Because my role is not insignificant. Prayer team, we invite our prayer team after every service. Her team, it's not an insignificant role. You are praying with people that need it. They maybe for the first time, maybe they're closed off with God, and you have an opportunity to pray over them. For, they, for them to experience the love of God, the peace of God. Maybe that's the first time or the first time in a long time. Alpha, servant leader, Alpha starts in a few weeks. The conversations you're gonna have, maybe you don't experience that breakthrough, that miracle you've been praying for. Maybe it just starts with a conversation over dinner about their doubts or skepticism or unbelief. And maybe they never see the Holy Spirit, maybe never they accept Jesus in that moment, but what if what you just did, the conversation was a seed that you planted? And maybe you never see them again, but years and months later, someone begins to water that same seed. And you may not see them until eternity, and they come up to you and say, thank you for that honest conversation. When I was an unbeliever, you welcomed me, you didn't judge me, you didn't impose your beliefs, you just welcomed the conversation. Thank you, you open my heart up to Jesus. The role that we play is not insignificant. Leah Sadlon, who leads our meal train, it's not insignificant, you are hands and feet of Jesus, carrying burdens in community when people need them. Tyler and Tess, who lead our grocery give, you are the hands and feet of Jesus, carrying the burdens, obeying the law of Christ by taking care, sharing the burdens of our community. Our worship team, our production team, the, create an environment for us to come in each week to experience Jesus. The role we play is not insignificant. Even the small acts that God has asked us to do can be a part of changing eternity, changing someone's eternity forever. This is what it looks like to carry burdens in community. It looks like recognizing when we are burdened and inviting Jesus in and inviting our community in. It looks like determining What's keeping me so hurried? What can I remove? How can I simplify my life to be more on mission? Obeying the law of Christ by carrying burdens. And lastly, it's recognizing that I'm not that important, but I'm not insignificant either. I don't care what role I get to play. I'm just happy I get to play a role. This is what it looks like to Read Galatians 6 and put it into practice. We've been saved by grace and now we are called to obey the law of Christ to love everyone as Jesus has loved us by carrying burdens in community. This is it, church. As we prepare our hearts for next week for Easter where we celebrate this grace, this mercy, let us remind ourselves we are called to carry burdens here in the family. Let's respond.